Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. So today, in our special episode, we are covering something very super, super special that we've been trying, we've been sitting on for probably, we've been, we've been kicking around the idea of doing this for probably close to three or four months now. We are covering. Wait, let me set the stage a little bit. Okay. Before there was the Netflix show, The Witcher, there was The Hexer. The Hexer. Um, so for anyone not in the know, um, and who hasn't come across this before, this is an all Polish production of the Witcher novels, um, as written by Andrzej Sapowski. Um, it is, it was entirely cast, directed, shot, and filmed and produced all in Poland. Mm -hmm. Um, this is available on YouTube. Um, so for we free. for for free ninety nine. Um, so it, it's it's also like an hour and twenty minutes long. I think it's um, more than that. I think it's close to two hours. You might be right. I seem to rem- I seem to remember it being like longer and shorter than I thought it would would be. So of course, because this is on YouTube, we will be providing the link to the to the video. I don't believe that there's any copyright issues on it. Um, it is subtitled in English. Uh, all of the dialogue is in Polish. Um, so obviously, you know, unless you speak Polish, uh, you're not going to be able to necessarily like watch it, <laughs> um, without the subtitles at least. I don't think um, it's an option to turn off the subtitles. Yeah, that's true. I think they're built in. Yeah. I think it's built into I the don't, YouTube I don't video. think that you can. Yeah. And I <laughs> think that, I think that's why there's no copyright issues with it. Cause I think it's like, this is, I, I don't think it's. I don't think I think it's under Polish copyright law, and that doesn't really apply too much here. I, I think we should avoid getting into Polish copyright law <laughs> here. And it's today we're going to be covering many wonderful things about yes, Poland, yes, um, yes, um, and butchering many a Polish name. I we already immediately at the top of the episode uh, deeply apologize to any of our Polish listeners um, for just absolutely obliterating any nuance in the Polish language. And uh, any pronunciation that is correct, uh, any pronunciation that is correct is entirely accidental. Um, we're going to try. We're, we're gonna try going so to try so hard, good. but it's going to be ugly. And we apologize for that off the bat. Um, so to start out, uh, we we looked up the so the budget for this movie. I want to give like my full overview. Okay. So the Hexer or Weedsman, which is the actual Polish title of mm-hmm. the book series, um, is a 2001 Polish film, and uh, it had a budget of about 4.3 million U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's like 18 million zwotys, mm-hmm. which is the Polish currency. Pretty big for a Polish movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this was trying to imitate a lot of the like blockbusters of that era, like the mm-hmm. early two thousands. It was very much trying to be an action movie, like slash fantasy movie, but it's, it kind of missed the mark a little bit. So but this, it was fun. This movie is is done very much in the style. What? So this this was what two thousand one, two thousand two. 
This was released in 2001. Okay. Um, so this is done very much in the style of like uh, Highlander, um, Beastmaster, uh, Xena Warrior Princess, um, all those like really kind of rompy um, kind of action, you know, soap opera TV shows that were really popular at the time. Um, Hercules with Kevin Sorbo. <clears throat> Um, who we don't like to talk too much about anymore. But anyways, it's in that style of like um, kind of it kind of know. Well, at least those shows kind of knew it was a little campy. And so they, they had like an OK budget. All of those shows were basically just excuses for people for like them to find an attractive lead and then dress them as minimally as possible and be like, hey, go be eye candy for, you know, and go punch some pet tigers. <laughs> um, and we're going to make a TV show around that. Um, and that'll sell millions. Um, and it did. It did. That was a formula that really worked for a long time. Um, sometimes they had good plot lines behind them. I know the Highlander series does have good source material. <laughs> Henry Cavill's going to play Highlander in the reboot, I think. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to look up. I'm going to have to do some research on that because actually that would be a good casting for him after seeing The Witcher now. So uh, we'll get into a little bit of the summary. We're going to keep that real short because the summary is it's it's a very good adaptation to the book series because it's very it's pretty close to verbatim. No, (laughs) no, it is not verbatim. (laughs) Okay. Holy shit. It is not verbatim. Okay. I've, I've, I've upset the Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I understand where you're coming from because there are things that are taken like word from word Mm. for word from the book, but Mm. there are really a lot of key changes here. Yeah. Do you remember this? <laughs> it's been like two weeks since we watched it. It, it has been, but um, I mean, like, I, I, I think yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good on, on this. Like, it, it's one of those things where my brain just kind of like, there's so many adaptations of like Witcher IP, especially in the in the first like book or two, um, that like my brain just kind of like transplants whatever the most recent one was that I saw and was okay. like, that's what's accurate, like. So um, this movie was directed by Merrick Brodsky. And again, that's just a butchering of that name. Um, And it was written by Michael Zerbik. It stars Michael Zabrowski as Geralt of Rivia. And I heard a rumor that is unverified at this point um, that he was actually the one that voiced Geralt for the video game for like the Polish version. Huh. I'm going to have to find that. Now, I don't know much about his work. Um, I will say that he's a pretty good Geralt of Rivia. Like... He, he really is. And, and we'll, we'll get into that more uh, later in our analysis portion. From what I understand and reading a little bit about this movie, it was the film that we watched, which mm. is about two hours long, was like an edited together version of the miniseries. Okay, but there is also a miniseries. No, the miniseries is the same as it is the, the movie. Same. Okay, okay. The movie is just a stitched together version of the TV series. However, confusingly, the movie was released a year before the miniseries. What? Why? I don't know. Like, the miniseries is 13 episodes. Okay. And it seems to cover the same... Material. Material. So, but wait, 
Okay, I, I did not realize that when we were researching this, that, like, the miniseries is the exact same material. But, like, okay, from a marketing standpoint, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if you've already seen the movie, why would you watch it on TV? I, all right. <laughs> Via Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. The film has received generally negative reviews after its release and since, with reviewers being generally positive in regard to actors and music, but critical of the plot and special effects. Mm, I mm-hmm. think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. So we'll go over what happens. So everything moves really fast in this movie. Really, really, really fast. And it's kind of like they're running out of time, so they just fit as many plot points Mm -hmm. into one film as possible. So we get, like, this really quick, like, Geralt origin montage clip with, like, the Law of Surprise and, like, Mm -hmm. Vesemir is kind of there and, like... It's kind of him growing up really, really fast. Like, this was maybe, like, three minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then there's that weird, like, scene at the very beginning that's kind of traumatic. It's the trial of the grasses, and it's just, like, kids covered with, like, black black light glow paint and just, like, screaming while tied to a table. Um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's less... It's actually more (laughs) funny when you see it. Like, my description of it sounds horrifying, but it's, it's actually pretty funny. After the montage about Geralt, um, we get a encounter between Geralt, Pavetta, and Kalanthe. Um, Geralt rescues her, and um, Kalanthe invites Geralt to this betrothal feast. Pavetta is not happy about the betrothal, and um, Kalanthe tells Geralt that this hedgehog of Erlenwald is claiming the law of surprise. Um I don't exactly know what the Polish version of Hedgehog, but I thought that was like the funniest thing that she calls him Hedgehog instead of Dooney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the names are just hilarious in the subtitles, and I'm not sure if that's just a translation error mm-hmm. or if it's like intentional. But yeah, way, I, f- I forgot about great. some of those. Like, um, oh, we'll we'll get there. I think. So, um, like. Kalanthe says, go teach this hedgehog guy a lesson or two. So Geralt goes to confront him at a tavern for some reason. Okay, yeah, and that's definitely very different. And they fight, and he just whips out his sword, and Geralt's just like, go home. And then like he goes back to the betrothal feast, but then Dooney shows up. Um and like the whole thing plays out from a question of price um pavetta has that outburst i will say it's pretty accurate um, to the books when she has the outburst because in the tv show as we described it was like a little it was a little weird because like it was quiet and Mm -hmm. she was kind of floating in the air and in the book it's definitely described as like more of an outburst so at least that was accurate yeah yeah Eventually, Geralt's won over um, because, of course, he's a law of surprise baby, too. Yep. And he helps Dooney. And then, like, Kalanthe is cool with Dooney and Pavetta getting, getting married. So that plays out the same way. And then mm-hmm. Dooney mm-hmm. has to extend, like, a special favor to Geralt. Like, you help me. I want to give you something. And that's when Mousebag... Mouse, Mousebag. His yes. name is... <laughs> Mousebag. Okay, he's not Mousesack in this. He's Mousebag. He's Mousebag. Um, yep. So Mousebag tells Geralt that the only thing he can ask for is the law of surprise, which I was so confused about. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that too because that also makes no sense. Like, you could you could ask for what whatever you want. Like, 
you don't have to you ask don't for have the to ask surprise. for the law of surprise anyway i think that was just their way of explaining it away and they're like okay you have to ask for that and so girl's like fine i asked for the law of surprise and then yeah. Pavetta is like i will give birth to a baby and then Geralt's like, okay, bye. And then he rides off on Roach. And there's all these amazing musical interludes where he's just riding. And it's like a way of transitioning between like stories, essentially. Well, it's is, like, this, is this where the musical interlude happens? Yes. Okay. This is where yeah, it yeah. starts. It happens like four or five times throughout the film. Um, but it's just great because it comes out of nowhere and it's just sort of their way of like fast forwarding through a bunch of things. It's it's like a montage, but it feels accidental. It does feel accidental. Um, like it kind of feels like somebody just forgot to record the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> They just added the music like no one will notice. Yeah, yeah. Geralt um, is like in a, a hole in the ground and he emerges with this very fake looking lizard thing. And there's all these guys standing around and we realize that this is the golden dragon story. Yep. yep. This is the bounds of reason. Mm-hmm. And so there is a very shortened version of like the three jackdaws coming with the two Zeracanian women mm-hmm. um, who are both wearing leopard print snuggies. Um, yes, they are. Great. Yes. Literal snuggies. <laughs> um, and so he saves him. And so he's like, hey, like, come with me to this inn. And we'll talk about like stuff. And so the tavern stuff plays out like the women are very flirty with Geralt Mm -hmm. they talk about this golden dragon thing he like tells him about the quest to find the golden dragon and like Geralt at first says I don't hunt dragons but eventually he's just won over because we don't have time to explain why this Geralt does what he does he's just won over okay Mm -hmm. yep yep. Um, so they go on the road to hunt this dragon and we meet Yaskier or this version of Yaskier who's kind of like a divorced dad with a drinking problem. It's, yeah, it's it's like divorced dad that's in a Dave Matthews band cover band. It's weird though cuz they've never met yes. in this version. <laughs> they've decided they don't have a relationship to this point. So it's just like, "Hey, here's a bar. Do you want to travel with Here's him? a guy, yeah, here's a here's a musician who's just like now with you. Like <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, Yaskier serves as, like, an exposition device to tell them all about this dragon. Um, We meet, like, this colorful cast of characters. Actually, a character that doesn't appear in the Witcher TV series is here. Sheepbagger, or the Sheep Poison Guy. Sheep Poison Guy. Sheep Poison Guy is here. So we put together, like, Geralt says, oh, it's got to be the king that's hunting the dragon, which seems kind of, like, Besides the point, I don't know why Geralt put this together at this point. It's here, actually, that three jackdaws suggest joining the hunt, which I thought we had already established. Yeah. But I guess we're actually literally doing it right now. Mm -hmm. And then Yennefer, or like, she's not really given a big introduction, but Yennefer rides up on the horse and like, she's kind of in slow motion. And like, it's clear that Geralt already knows her. And there's this weird like flashback flashback scene where like he's like being tended to by her in bed and she's like brewing up all these potions and like they kiss and Mm -hmm. do other stuff so we're really quickly introduced to the fact that these two have like a love apparently have a history together yeah um he Geralt is very awkward like he literally says at one point like you're a very pretty lady (laughs) Again, I don't know if that's like a translation thing or what. I'm assuming it probably, it's probably much prettier in Polish. (laughs) And so later at this 
dragon hunt camp. Yennefer tells Geralt that they're not meant for each other. She says he's too much of a rolling stone. And Yennefer says she's here for a fertility cure. Um, so that's that. They go on the road. Three jackdaws causes a major landslide by tossing a coin. This was so strange. He like tosses something and mm-hmm. it causes like an entire avalanche. But it it causes an avalanche above them right and it doesn't look like it's that high up but suddenly they're like Yennefer and Geralt are hanging off this really high cliff mm-hmm. which oh yeah to yeah come out of nowhere yes yes okay so I, I, I just want to just for a few hot seconds here get back to the mechanics of a of an avalanche so he tosses a coin to his witcher um mm-hmm. so the only place that that could go would be downhill Yep. Which would cause an avalanche to occur further downhill. And it's also not snowy, so I guess technically it'd be a well, landslide. Yeah, technically it's a landslide. Either way, mechanics are the sa- mostly the same. But like my point is that like why is this causing an aval or a landslide above them which was would cause them peril? I have no idea. Yeah, all right, yeah, anyways. It, it doesn't spend a lot of time explaining how this could be the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And anyways, Gary, <laughs> I just wanted to point that out that like downhill <laughs> things go downhill, uphill things stay uphill. I have no idea how the mechanics of this work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, like Geralt is hanging on and Yennefer is like hanging on to his waist. And she says like, I can't love or I can't love forgive me. I think it's I can't love judging on what happens later but it was a little hard to understand this conversation mm-hmm. so they they get up the cliff sort of also inexplicably and uh yeah uh if i remember right Geralt like hooks his belt <laughs> over like a rock and then like sort of just like pulls them with his belt that he's already holding with another hand and like i i they, they both collapse on Diaskir, though. Yeah, um, yes, yes. So everyone gets to this clearing, and there is an incredibly realistic dragon. It's amazing. I think this is the best special effect dragon mm. I've ever seen. Um, I'm kidding. It's, <laughs> it's like... Okay. <laughs> so, like, when it comes to things like this, when it comes to, like, movies that obviously didn't have a ton of a budget... You know, movies that aren't made by a I, by a big studio or something like that. I try to give them a lot of slack in terms of like special effects um, and just things that would require budget. Um, honestly, I think the CGI was pretty solid <laughs> on this dragon for being for being a, a movie that pro- that had a budget of like. What, what did we figure? It was like $7 million. Yeah, um, $7 million in today's money. And it was made in 2001. Um, the CGI was actually pretty solid for that those criteria. Yeah. That being said... Mm-hmm. It's not great. I don't think that they did... The big problem, I think, is that they really didn't do any like sort of stand-in for the, the, the actors to work with. No. Which, you know, you, a lot of times you, you, you use a stand-in and then you put the CGI in afterwards. Right. So that when the actors are acting, they have something to work off of. I don't think that they did that at all. And I think that I think they kind of just pointed like, oh, it's over that way. <laughs> so react to, to the left. 
um and so like all the all the actors you can tell are just like their eyes are like focused off like way in the sky and like they're supposed to be fighting a dragon that's like four feet in front of them kind of thing um it just makes it it just makes for a lot of like weird continuity cuts um in this bit and that's actually yeah. probably the bigger issue is it's just a little that, distracting yeah just like the whole scene is kind of just a mess in terms of the editing really but so similar to how it unfolds in the book um yennefer um encourages Geralt to like go fight the dragon because the dragon gets like a portion of the treasure and so she's like please kill the dragon then I will love you and Geralt's like no I'm not a piece of meat and then there's like a baby dragon and Yennefer saves the baby so maybe that redeems her I'm not sure. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Don't think too hard. And then the golden dragon explodes and out of it comes three jackdaws and the Zeracanian girls. So it's revealed to us that like they actually were behind it the whole time. I thought that was a decent reveal, but it didn't make a ton of sense. (laughs) It was it was a good excuse to no longer use up use up half your budget for CGI rendering dragons. Yeah. And so they have like this little um postscript similar to the book and the tv show though it's different because they have this conversation about mind reading like Geralt asks three jackdaws if he can mind read and Yennefer is also like yeah I can mind read too and I don't remember if anything comes of it no the, the entire topic is just dropped they go in like in the book and in the tv show they go into like a he goes into like a fortune telling where he just talks about like this is your fate this is but he doesn't it's get not it going to work out it's not going to you. work out etc um, etc et that's not brought out here no it's just like yeah i can read minds okay cool and then it comes and then to another ca- jaunty too <laughs> roll credits <laughs> and we never see Jennifer again Oh, yeah, that was the end of the Yennefer sequence in the entire movie. I don't even know why they brought her in, honestly. (laughs) Um, So, like, there's more jaunty tunes and and Geralt, you know, going places. Um, Now Geralt's with Mousebag um, slash Mousesack, whatever you prefer to call him. And um, Geralt asks which one of the boys is the child of surprise. And Mousebag says... Pavetta and Hedgehog died. <laughs> Again, I can't get over Hedgehog. They do keep they don't call him Dooney, they just keep calling him Hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. Um, so when Geralt goes to Kalanthe, Kalanthe begs him to not take her grandchild. And Geralt says, I won't take a child. Um, and he says, like, I'm leaving for a far off lands for maybe forever. Um, this is also so I have seen no interpretations that actually understand or try to interpret how this happened in the books in the books this is actually a dream that Geralt has yeah um while he's like high off of like witcher remedies so Mm -hmm. it doesn't really make sense that this is a literal thing but sure he comes and then he's like I'm going and then there's another jaunty tune yeah (laughs) or he just rides off into the sunset anyway I guess he didn't care much about the child of surprise yep Yep. It like it it makes sense from a logistics standpoint to ha- to have it be a dream because then you don't have to worry about getting Geralt in and out of Sintra and why didn't he take the kid then? Um but like it also that would that's really really hard to show on film. Yeah. Um it really really hard to to give that depiction and I think most audiences would get really really lost in it, but I can't like tell you how like 
little time is devoted to each section. It feels mm-hmm. like once we get to any point, it's like time for another thing. So yep. it's like the Cliff Notes version, but you don't even want to read the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, yeah. It's like, we're moving on to something else now. Yep. <laughs> we see the outskirts of Sintra, and then we see it's on fire. And this is the only like understanding that we get that there was a siege of Sintra. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the the entire siege of Sintra, which is like, you know... The, for, the formative plot point of, you know, the entire, like, first three books. Yeah. Uh, it's just a quick flash over of, like, a city on fire. So we're in Nilfgaard now, and someone says the child is missing. And by this, we know it's the famous child of surprise. Um, they believe that the girl has special blood. They don't really reference a lot about the elder blood. So we don't get a lot of understanding of what that means. But she's a very special child. Um, there's a bad guy and the bad guy is weird because he's a combination of like everyone. He's like a little bit of a Nilfgaardian, a little bit of like a C-list bad guy from The Last Wish where he was like this disgruntled knight, um, who fought Geralt or, or didn't fight him. He was like the older one, but he's like this. The character itself has the name of, like, a two-bit bad guy from The Last Wish, but he's, like, all of these bad guys smushed into one person. Anyway, so that this is the guy that is chasing after the child and after Geralt, like, the whole duration of the movie to come. Anyway, he believes that uh, the child is with um mother Neneke in Ellender. We then get a cut to Geralt in a cornfield and he's getting attacked by something very mysterious. It kind of looks like an alligator, but again the special effects are not great. It's a big paper mache thing that he picks up and just like like suplexes into the ground if I remember right. He gets very injured and so he goes to the gate of somewhere and lands at the temple of Melitel, um, which is where Mother Neneke is. And as he recovers, he meets a little blonde girl and then Mother Neneke comes in and she introduces the little girl as Siri. She's an orphan. We put two and two, two together. This is the famous love surprise child, but Geralt doesn't know that yet. Again, this is not true to how it happens in the books, but I get that they don't have a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one, I didn't hate that as much um, because that kind of... You know, our big issue with them removing Geralt and Ciri meeting in Brokolon, uh for the first mm-hmm. time, um, it kind of circumvents that by having it just happen at the Temple of Melitel, which also actually kind of makes sense. Um, it fits, at least. Um, so I, I didn't hate that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst thing they could have done. So Mother Neneke says that she's an orphan, that they shelter orphans here in the temple in dangerous times. And then we get a cut to the bad guy um, who says that they need a monster in human form who knows no mercy, only hatred to track down the girl. And this is where Renfrey is brought in mysteriously. Wait, this is where they brought in Ren? Yes. So they bring in Renfrey. Who is from a very early short story. Okay, yep. The Lesser Evil. And she is apparently the bad guy bounty hunter. I mean, okay, so quick aside. uh, In the books, Renfrey is part of a short story that is completely disconnected from literally everything else. Um, It it is almost entirely standalone. Uh, There is almost nothing that it impacts in any way. So the bad guy says to bring Renfrey here. 
Um, we cut back to the temple. A priestess in the temple says that she saw something awful in a vision, destruction, and death. This is Iola. It's similar to something that happens at the end of The Last Wish, but again, it's in like a completely different context. Um, we learn from um, her conversation with Neneke that something binds them, Geralt and Ciri. Um, and we do see the scene of Ciri and Geralt bonding. It's very short. They kind of like, it is a cute moment. Like he seems to be really drawn to her and her to him. They have a snowball fight. He wraps her up in a scarf. And then the bad guy and this other bad guy knight show up at the temple. This is also something that happens in the books, but again, under completely different circumstances. They kind of just insert things here and there like that happen in the book, but not in the way it happens. Yeah. Yep. They they kind of they kind of Frankensteined the book a little bit. Like, they did. It's a patchwork quilt yeah. of the book. It's like remix. Yeah, like if if you take chunks of of a story and you just cram them next to each other, that they work, right? Like that's how that works. That's how storytelling works, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. so these two knights have a similar. Um, altercation with Geralt they say get out of Elendor you're not welcome around here and Geralt's like yeah give me a couple days I'll be out of here and they're like that's not good enough we need to like investigate this entire temple we don't like you you need to get out of here right away um so they leave after Neneke does some badass Neneke stuff I think that she was pretty well cast in this um and i'm glad she was in here but she just doesn't have a lot to do it's here where Geralt is trying to like tell neneke and everyone we need to take siri away and neneke says that they need to take siri to broke lawn and hide her and Geralt is kind of upset with her because he realizes that siri is the law of surprise child and he's like why don't you tell me about this whole thing neneke is like well you know i didn't know how you'd handle it and Geralt thinks it's all his fault neneke says be a man and Geralt says is all upset now because he's going to have to kill a lot of people and so as Geralt is getting ready to leave, Siri takes the initiative and she's like, I want to leave now. She apparently knows everything and she's like, let's not tell Neneke. I don't care. We're bound by destiny. Let's go. And then Neneke comes right in the neck of time and she's like, no, you're not going. And Geralt's like, please. And Neneke's like, no. And so Siri stays here. So on the outskirts of town, the two bad knights meet Geralt. They have the same fight that they did in The Last Wish, only instead of Geralt not being allowed to strike one of the bad knights, he has to be blindfolded, which yeah, is a really yeah. weird change. Mm-hmm. Um, so Geralt wins, um, and the main bad guy says that Geralt is a killer. Anyway, so the soldiers come for the temple and like the bad guy says that he heard Siri is hiding out there. He says the prince wants to take Siri under his care. What prince? I'm not sure. I guess they're talking about Nilfgaard. Um, Neneke is like, well, how do I verify that? I need like a letter or some sort of proof. And like the bad guy hits Neneke and then kisses her hand. His men tie a priestess and a child up to a pole um, he keeps asking all the priestesses if Siri is here and like no one answers. Iola starts panic singing and then she says she sees the future and run free and the bad guy says you'll all die but you can change your fate and Iola says I know I will die today but you will die today too. 
Anyway, um, Renfri rides up. The bad guy is like, no one, understand? And I guess this means leave no one alive. Meanwhile, Geralt is in a cave somewhere and a snake or creature wraps around him as he fends it off. It's a, again, a weird alligator-like thing. Um, we learn this is actually a Kikamora though, surprisingly. And so Geralt rides into town with a Kikamora and it's like a very fake party city spider. And then Dandelion and Geralt, or Yaskier and Geralt, meet up in a pub. Yaskier is like, I thought you died, Geralt. And like, we learned that we are in Blaviken. And the Alderman says that, um, and then Geralt goes to the Alderman for payment for this Kikamora. And he says he can't pay Geralt for the monster. And um, he says, you might be able to find some kind of payment with this wizard. It's here that we meet Stregobor. Um, This is again, like, a very convoluted way to work in a question yeah, yeah. Um, of the lesser evil, which is a short story, um, which Renfrey also appears in. Geralt runs into six men that are apparently the prince's men, and they're giving him a hard time, but then Renfrey comes in and she tells the men to leave him alone. Um, she says she's just come for Stregobor. It's very confusing because, like, that's where the conversation ends. And they don't have any, like, further understanding or why Renfri even intervenes in this. Anyway, so Geralt turns up at the market at some point, And he turns invisible, which is, like, the weirdest thing that happens. I forgot about that. <laughs> he just casts a sign that makes him invisible? But that's not that's not canon in the books. It's not canon in the TV show. That's not a part of anything anywhere. Uh, he's literally just invisible, and then it's never talked about again. So Renfrey comes out, and they fight, just like in the short story. Um, just like in the short story. But it's very truncated and very weird. And, like, when he eventually stabs her, Renfrey says, like, you've made your choice. How can you tell it was the right one? Which is bonkers because that makes no sense because they've included none of they the context have a, they, of that. They have established none of the context as to, like, what the choice was that Geralt was making. Um, but they still kept the dialogue. <laughs> It, it was so strange because the whole point of that short story is that Geralt doesn't like to choose between the lesser of two evils. And so that's a big culmination of like all this of is, the points of the book. This is like in the scene in, in Star Wars where, where Darth Vader is like, no, Luke, I'm your father. But not having any of the other establishing like material, this is like the first time we're meeting Vader kind of thing. Like, like having none of the other plot. Like... <laughs> So in the book and in the TV show, there's a lot of consequences for Geralt having butchered Renfrey and her men in the market square. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't happen. Geralt just walks away. No consequences here. Um, So he goes to Stregobor's wizard tower and like he tells Stregobor, hey, like I killed that girl you were so scared of. And he's like, go away. You're scary to me now. Which is not how Stregobor is in the book or the TV show. In the book, he's very much like, yeah, I want to do experiments on her. Let me grab my wheelbarrow. Um, yeah, yeah. 
which is part of like Geralt is sort of defensive at the end and mm-hmm. it's him regretting his decision. So anyway, that doesn't make any sense. But Stregobor, I guess, is having some buyer's remorse. Yeah, yeah. And like he doesn't even come out, but he like gives him exposition and he says that they burned the temple of Melitol. Mm-hmm. And Geralt screams like, what about Naneke, Siri? And then Geralt says he has like no regrets about what he just did, which is very much not true in the book. Like in the book, he actually has a lot of regrets about mm-hmm. this. Um, especially since he's called the Butcher of Blaviken throughout like the rest of his journey. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so now we're going to Brokelon and the Brokelon dryads are... (laughs) Okay, hang on, because the Brokelon dryads in this are... They're better than they're better than the Netflix depiction. Yeah. They really are. And you have to to admit that. Yeah, but they're standing in this like forest clearing and they just have green face paint on. It's still better. <laughs> anyway, so we have no context for what Brokelon is, but anyway, Ethne, that the is leader, correct. This is the first time we are hearing about Brokelon. This is the first time it, we hear about it briefly, but yeah. it's like, why are we here? Why did girls come here? So uh, for anyone that may not be following along with our, our reading, like Brokelon is a pretty pivotal like location later in the books. Um, so like to have it completely glossed over and glanced mm-hmm. over in the T in the Netflix series did this as well. Um, so we kind of take issue with it on that in a big way um, is kind of egregious to have it just completely glossed over. Like this is a, a major geographic point that is very important to a lot of plot lines and you're just kind of like hand waving it like oh yeah they're in Brokelon now okay well what is that yeah and so like the only thing Ethne says is that Stregobor is a liar I'm assuming because of like what he said about the burning of the temple of Melitol and Ethne is just like try the elves camp and then Geralt just asks a few people what happened and they say that Actually, it did burn, and they don't know what happened to Siri. So we find out that uh, the bad guy has done exactly what Stregobor said he did, and that he is fabricating a story that he just found the temple like that, um, and that none of the priestesses survived. Um, he tries to pin it on this army of mixed blood and Geralt of Rivia in specific. So some Nilfgaardians are in the woods, and they're wondering what will happen if they don't return with Siri. Um, and there's this very weird scene where, like, one of the Nelf Guardians enters a room and Geralt's under a blanket and then he emerges. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> and I guess it was like a form of torture or something, but it was okay. So, like, I think it was that they they had a prisoner, or at least they thought they had a prisoner and they were like gonna torture him because it, it was like a person on like a torture rack, but they had a blanket over them. And then the big reveal is that it's Geralt. Yeah. Somehow, anyway. and like he he murders the guy. <laughs> like, and so a jaunty tune plays about Geralt riding to Novigrad. Yep. And like Geralt says, he goes up to these like Nelf guardians, and he says that the emperor is waiting for them. And like one of them recognizes Geralt and tosses a spear, um, into him. But like Geralt catches it, and then he proceeds to just like murder everyone with like random objects, like. Yep, More forgot spheres, about that one too. Swords, like yep. really whatever he finds and like the guys just like drop immediately. 
Um, we see that Siri is actually here, like being held captive in this house. She's wearing like a leather mask, um, I guess, to obscure her identity. Yep. Despite the fact that, oh, no, Geralt has seen her. Yes. Okay. So we do know that. Yeah. Yes. It's a creepy leather mask. And so someone carries her off while she's kicking and screaming. And Geralt. um, In a gimp mask. Geralt talks to all of these orphans that I guess Siri was. Um, transported with I guess the orphans weren't killed as part of this burning of the temple Um, and he's like was there like a little blonde girl with you and they're like now that you mention it there was a girl with the creepy leather mask and girl's like okay you can all go free and they're like what are we gonna do now we don't have anyone to feed us (laughs) we're all orphans (laughs) literally this pile of hay that we're sitting in is all we own Uh, okay good luck kids (laughs) hope hope nobody subjugates you again so Geralt goes into a dungeon um, and like apparently Askir is a prisoner of the bad guys for some reason and Geralt just sort of wanders around Novigrad for a while like he's sitting in a courtyard and like some bad guys come into the court and they capture him and like they ask him like where are the orphans and i'm like why do you care like why are you keeping these orphans for um and then like the leader asks like why did you kill renfree and chickadee and i don't know who chickadee is yep <laughs> okay this is. is the first time we're hearing the name chickadee <laughs> I'm assuming it's one of, and I, I seem to remember from the books, it's one of Renfrey's henchmen, but like, this is literally the first time we're hearing this name ever. We have no context as to who the hell this person is. Even watching the subtitles, like where people have names, it didn't come up. So this person is just like, what did you do to Chickadee? And, and you're just like, who the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> like... They're like, we didn't have time to introduce him, but he we, was we kind of forgot about Chickadee. <laughs> um, and so Geralt, when confronted with all of these bad guys, Nelf Guardians, whoever they are, says that the priestesses died and so will you. Um, and Geralt says he's actually waiting for Falwick, which is our main bad guy. Again, he's the older knight. He's a one-time bad guy in The Last Wish. Like, it's so weird that they've built him up to be the main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I think they, like, flipped through some pages and they found it. And they're like, yeah, this works. Yep, that's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly a bad guy name. So, um, Falwick finally comes up and um, they talk about Siri. Falwick wanted a better price for her than the emperor was willing to pay. So I guess that's why he's kidnapped her. I don't know. It's a little confusing. And like the Nilfgaardian captain is like, someone is lying. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. Okay, so like for once again, for a little bit of context, um, this would be the equivalent of like, them in in the star wars prequels them taking Watto, the little flying bug thing that owns anakin at the beginning of the first episode and it turns out he's actually the big bad guy at the very end of like everything (laughs) and you're just like what the fuck just happened like this dude is like a like he has like three lines to establish like some some context and some world building and you guys turned him into like this big great villain like he's the big bad guy like yeah so the nilf guardian captain decides he's going to side with Falwick, and girl decides he's just going to fight all of them at once and he just kills them all and then he asks like where the girl is to the you know to Falwick, and like Falwick says he ordered her hidden 
Um, anyway, so they take him prisoner again at this point, and I don't really remember who takes him prisoner because it seems mm-hmm. like he killed a lot of guys. He did kill a lot of guys. Um, so Garros is brought into this common like room and this common like prison cell ish thing um, with Yaskier and like. Yaskier is being waterboarded and then they're left alone like the guards literally leave them alone and they escape <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like why did you leave them alone like yeah. what did you yep. expect was going to happen anyway so that they they untie their um hand ties and they get loose and then while they're still inside this like prison barn thing mm-hmm. they set it on fire while they're inside also forgot about that <laughs> yes yeah, like they're like all right well we need a distraction okay cool here's a torch <laughs> let's throw it on the big pile of hay in the building that we're locked in <laughs> yep that'll create a distraction uh, anyway so Geralt so can we get out the windows nope those are barred <laughs> can we get out the door i think the door is on fire <laughs> so Geralt like miraculously just like finds a way out yep somehow there was a there was like a hole in the ground i guess and so they run off and this is like the goofiest part of the entire movie because they run and like it is the goofiest run and we see them run for like five minutes and that's more than we were given to some of the like short story adaptations yes yes yeah, it was it was a five minute long scene of them running, like uh, like five minutes of film time. Like it like it started at like fifty, and then ended at fifty five, and then like there's some of these like major plot point storylines that are like like two minutes of actual film time, and they're <laughs> and they're like one so like the siege of Sintra was thirty seconds on screen, and we get five minutes of these guys these assholes running. <laughs> um. <laughs> So then it's like sometime in the future and like we get Geralt knocking on a door and he's asking the guy something, but we cannot hear anything. There is no audio. Yes. Okay. So this was another one of the montages, but okay. So you know, like how in the last time we had like music, Mm -hmm. there's no music here. (laughs) There's, there's, it's literally, there's no audio. We thought it was a glitch with our like we thought the, the like our, our TV like cut out or something like that like we thought there was something wrong with it and like it just kept going and like he's talking with somebody and like but there's no there's no audio but there's also no subtitles so you're like oh, okay well I guess there's no audio here but there's no sound either there's no foley there's no sa- there's no music it's just silence it's just dead air well, well like Geralt does for a does, long time actually for, for like another five or ten minutes of just dead air <laughs> i don't know why they didn't just like Add actually music. have like have music or have the conversations it yeah. seems like it would cost the them other. nothing <laughs> the only thing i could think of is that the audio got all fucked up when they were trying to record it and they were just like all right uh just we'll just cut it all out <laughs> Anyway, so Geralt goes into this like market and it's all abandoned and there's this merchant hiding under a cart. Geralt runs into him and he's like, why are you hiding? And he's like, oh, there's all these monsters around. There's all these monsters around. And so the merchant is like, I'll give you anything you want, even the law of surprise. And Geralt is like, oh, I don't like that anymore. And he's like, please help me. And he's like, fine, I'll take the law of surprise, blah, blah, blah. 
And then Geralt goes off and fights these like harpy like creatures, I guess. And he gets very injured and his injury is very funny because he falls like so funny. He just like sort of drops down and he like just slides like he's in his like first acting production ever. Oh, I I wither. I have been slain by the monsters. Anyway, so this merchant loads him into the cart and Geralt asks for a green potion. They didn't have any budget left to show us all the hallucinations. And I guess they already used the material for that earlier. So they're just like, yeah, he's knocked out for some time. Yeah. Um, so we get to the merchant's house and um, the wife is like, surprise, I adopted a daughter and it's Siri. And Geralt runs up to her and they have a very genuine hug. I will say that this was a more genuine hug than it, Geralt yes. and Siri at the end <laughs> it, of it actually was good. The Witcher season one on Netflix, just because like they had never met before. And like, it's kind of like, not that significant to just hug a stranger mm-hmm. and so i will say that the acting on this was pretty good yeah yeah um we get like that little exchange which i think we also get in the tv series like and then they both jump up in the air and it freeze frames while the credits roll <laughs> yeah so he like says something like and she says like i'm your destiny Geralt," and Geralt says you're much more and then they both get on the horse and they ride off to whatever happens next and the woman in the cabin is like wait you asshole that's my daughter (laughs) (laughs) i just adopted her like i care about her and that's the end (laughs) of the hexer that is that is the hexer uh on youtube um or where wherever it is streaming um so overall though okay so as much shit as we we have been giving this movie the acting is actually really really good um, it is not at all a fault of it, like th- this movie being hard to watch is not at all a fault of the actors. Um, the acting is very, very good. The casting was also very good. Um, the guy who plays Geralt is really fantastic. He's, he's a really good fit for Geralt. Um, the, the girl who plays Siri is pretty believable. She, she fits the bill really well. Um, she's very genuine. Um, Yasker, I, <laughs> I don't really have any complaints about him. I just like, it's kind of one of those, like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I don't think it was that. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with Yaskier, um, but like, I, he's just like, he's got like the real, so like Dandelion slash Yaskier in the books is very charismatic and like yeah. he's known to be like just gregarious and like outgoing and basically be able to like, you know, sell ice to an Eskimo kind of thing. Like just very charismatic and just can talk his way into or out of anything. Um, this guy definitely has, he has more like failed musician vibes. Like he has that, that guy who his band is still playing at the same, you know, at, at the, at the, the Fergie club every, every two nights. Um, I just made that club name up. That's not a reference to anything. Um, (laughs) You know, they're still playing every every night, you know, or, uh, yeah, every Tuesday night uh, with like a two dollar cover and they barely cover even. And he thinks he's going to make it as a big musician. It's, um, not it's not happening, but it's been like 30 years um, since he started. And 
he just he just has really divorced dad energy <laughs> like there's just no other way to describe it like he's he's good he's a good actor he's actually a pretty good singer too um you can tell it's actually him singing in all of the bits where he sings um and he like he fits he works he gets the job done but like I, <laughs> he like i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't that <laughs> like yeah. is the only way to describe it um but yeah, like I, I still think he is still a good fit for the role. Um, and I, I think they all are. And I think all the actors are very, very good. Very talented. You can tell they got a lot done with the budget they had. Um, where it really falls apart is... Okay, we, we got to talk, talk a little bit about the choreography here. Yeah. <laughs> so, the choreography... Uh, okay. As someone who's never like pr- never choreographed a a movie fight, mm. I don't have a leg to criticize on here. But when you have your actors like literally standing like eight feet away from each other <laughs> and like swinging wildly into each other like one blow at a time, um, it's not super engaging. <laughs> like I I'm not believing a lot of the tension here. I will say that there was a lot of a good. There was, there was a lot of good camera work there in the fight scenes that actually did kind of break it up. Um, so they used like multiple cameras and they cut between them re- very quickly and did a really decent job of trying to cover for the fact that like they they didn't have a lot of choreography, a lot of fight choreography. Yeah, I found that to be one of the clunkiest things. Yeah. Which is something the Witcher TV series really does well. They did that very right. And it wouldn't be so much of a thing if it weren't for the fact that like there's such emphasis placed on witchers being very fast and like such very expert skilled swordsmen like can move faster than the blink of an eye. And you have your main character kind of like two-handing a great sword, like just running in, like <laughs> just like trying to oh, smack yeah. the guy across. So he, he sort of just has like this what, like this one-handed whacking thing. Going yeah, on. yes, um, uh, it, it's it's the big issue is mostly just that that that's not like what their sword style is, and there's a there's a lot of emphasis put on that in the stories of like that not being how they fight. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I can't criticize, like I said, I so I don't actually know how hard it is to make that a thing. Um, and they, they tried to compensate for it, you can tell, and they did an okay job at that, but, like, you can also tell that, like, when you have, like, a, a, like a group fight scene and your guys are <laughs> walking in one at a time, like, <laughs> it kind of yeah. just, like, it loses a little bit of the tension uh, to some extent. Um, wardrobe? Not great. They... Uh, <laughs> A plus. I mean, it's they. They tried. They 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 tried, and they they did real good in all honesty. But like, there's 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 some things like yeah, like the the Zarkanians showing up in like snuggies. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's a couple of things that just stand out real bad, and you're just like, it's kind of yes. like it's kind of like watching uh, Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail, and you realize that their chainmail is actually just sweaters that have been spray painted silver. Yeah, it's it's real bad mm-hmm. and like it's not fair to compare it to the netflix tv series mm. because their budget is just astronomically yeah. yes. larger yes. but it seems like they bit off just way 
more than they could chew. I, and I think that's the big problem is that they they just tried to take on like the whole of book one, two, and three. Um, it's not possible to yeah. cram that much into a movie or I guess a 13 episode miniseries that they stitch together into a movie. Yeah. It doesn't do it justice. They just sort of panicked and put all of these different stories together in different orders and they change relationships and like remove some pretty big parts. Like I will say that like some of the plot points work better than others. The most egregious crimes to me are introducing Yennefer and then like never, never mentioning her, her again. again. <laughs> kind of glossing over all of that mm-hmm. and not talking about her relationship with Siri at all. I get they didn't have time to do that, but mm. it's so weird to introduce her only to never bring her back. Anyway, she yeah, just goes off. Re- and realistically, like they could have dropped the entire dragon hunt. The golden dragon. Yeah, hunt, they, they yeah. could have dropped the entire golden dragon plot line um, and it would have saved them so much time and they would have had much more time to focus on other things. So like all of these, these sins that we've been talking about, like with, you know, the, the kind of, limited production resources are all very forgivable sins. Um, They're all very, very allowable. They're all very redeemable. If your plot makes sense. (laughs) Now that is the key thing here. That is what it boils down to. And that is ultimately where it becomes when it, when it, when it comes down to small budget, like productions Mm -hmm. and and small, like non-mainstream productions, the general rule of comedy is you can't make fun of something. Uh, you can't make fun of someone for something they can't change. So it's still a little bit in bad taste to make fun of a a small production based on its limited resources. It's a little rude. However, the one area that you can definitely make fun of is the plot development and the plot progression and the writing. Yeah. Um, and the story, like the story telling, because that's something that you, that could have very easily been fixed that could have like, they could have, you know, that that's where you can really shine as a, as a small crew, as a small production work on telling a really good story Mm -hmm. and people won't really care as much about like anything else. Um, this did the exact opposite. (laughs) um i've i've seen student films that that in 20 minutes can tell a compelling story that can bring you to tears um with a budget of 35 dollars but i've also seen multi-billion dollar productions that can't tell their a story out of you know can't write a story out of a paper bag kind of thing so i think we've all experienced those kind of movies but um like why why do you smash cut and jump around in your plot lines like all the time like you have you have all these major like you're opening all these major plot threads that don't necessarily need to be open and then just to kind of never touch them again um and the only thing i can think of for a lot of this was that like you said um that they were planning on it being a much longer our overarching mm-hmm. like maybe like multi-season tv sh- mini-series tv show or something and then they're like oh shit we only got the one season. Now we need to cram it down into a movie. Um, let's make a movie out of it. And we'll just Frankenstein the footage together, film a couple extra things to like stitch it in some filler 
filler scenes to kind of like make the plot make something of a sense. Yeah, and it's very hard to make this a linear story. Yes. Like they made the choice because a lot of, I mean, there's not a lot of movies that use non-linear storytelling. Yes. So unless you're using a lot of flashbacks, which, you know, can be lazy if used improperly. Mm. So what they decided to do was try to fit a lot of elements of the short stories that are in The Last Wish and Sort of Destiny into a linear plot, which is impossible to do. Yes. And if you're going to try to do that, you have to cut a lot of content to make it make sense. Yes. And you'd probably have to invent new characters because it doesn't make sense to just take a bad guy that wasn't even much of a big deal in The Last Wish, make him the overarching bad guy, um, use characters in a weird way, in a way they weren't intended to be used. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like sort of make things happen in weird orders, bringing yeah. Renfrey in, having her have an original line, not explaining the context of that line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, ultimately, um, the the problem with when you Franken plots like that mm-hmm. um and you you screw around with something that already has like an established storyline, it creates plot holes. Um, like how did how did so and so get to this place? We don't know. Uh, here you go. Uh, we'll just slap in some uh, teleportation. I don't know. Um, we'll fill in the holes with frog DNA. <laughs> um, and so like that's why it's generally not good to like mess around with plot lines that much. Because you end up with, you know, Renfri on her in her deathbed saying, like, you'll never know if you made the right choice. But he's never we've never talked about any choices up to this point. Like, why? Why is why is that line there in the universe? It, it's really comical because, like, what would the choice be like? The choice would be to let her go after she After butchered like the entire temple of Melito. Yeah, that too. Like, and maybe killed Siri. Like, what is the choice there? Yeah, what choice is Geralt making? Like, I I think most people like. Okay, and so in 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 the book, in the movie, or in the TV show, like the choice is very nuanced. That there doesn't seem to be you know any good option here. But now that she murdered the entire temple of Melitel, Mel- Melitel. Geralt's pretty uh, pretty motivated in one direction on that choice that we have not discussed there being a choice. Yeah, and I guess he doesn't know at this point about that, but like that makes even less sense because she's bringing up this choice with, when he doesn't even know who she is. Really, I don't. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> like, um, it's very confusing. Yeah. Um, I think another favorite is when Geralt goes back to Sintra only to be like, I'm leaving. For okay, a bye, long cool. Time. And it was just like, okay, why did you even come? Yeah, yeah. Like, why are you here? Yeah, like, once again, th- this is what I mean, where, like, okay, well, why is Geralt there in the first place? Okay, so I- in order to establish, like, a character going somewhere, they have to have a motivation to go there. Okay, so if you want to, if you want to put Geralt in Sintra mm-hmm. for a little while before Ciri is of age, um, there has to be a motivation. Yep, it, it makes sense that he would visit. Sure, cool. It, it logically it works that he would be there, but why would he have gone there in the first place? And once you once you make once you decide to put him there in the plot, 
you have to explain those other things in some way. You can you can kind of hand wave it a little bit. You can say like you can you can you can have someone walk in on scene and say, Geralt, thank you for taking care of that monster in our basement last week. It was really helpful. It killed a lot of people before you got here. <laughs> Boom. There you go. Entire like entire motivation explained in like 30 seconds. Um, that's it. Like, that's all you had to do. But then also now he's leaving and he's leaving without Siri. OK, so now you have to explain why, because from a character motivational standpoint, like that is his adoptive child. Like he has an obligation. He has an her. obligation to her. He would have to have, he would have to have a very good reason as to why he wouldn't be. Le- First off, why is he leaving? Mm-hmm. And again, you, that's another thing like, Oh, okay. Now I got to go sample some lemons out in <laughs> the Toussaint township. I don't know. Like okay, there's a there's a motivation, I guess. Um, okay, but then why do you, why is he leaving Siri? Like Siri is his child, objectively. Why wouldn't yeah. they go? <laughs> yeah, and and I will say another thing that really bothered me was that they didn't explore any sort of depth to Geralt's character. It was mm-hmm. they seemed to be a little confused because. So there's a lot of tension in the book and in the TV series. And I think Henry Cavill does a really good job of portraying this. And I Mm, think the mm -hmm. writing does a really good job of this is that Geralt, due to his background, due to the mutations and due to his upbringing, believes that he is an unfeeling, uncaring mutant. But in reality, he has a big heart. He cares a lot, maybe too much. And so... Their decision to make Geralt say that he has no regrets after killing people in the streets of Blaviken is so mysterious to me because on one hand, they want us to believe he's an unfeeling, cold person, and he says that several times, but on the other hand, they want us to believe that he cares so much about Ciri. Mm -hmm. And we have seen neither of those things. (laughs) Like... Like, we've seen, like, a little bit of development between mm-hmm. Geralt and Siri, but it's, like, it's so confusing why, on one hand, he's, like, an unfeeling, like, badass. On yeah, the other yep. hand, he's a really Loving guy. dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> it takes so Siri to soccer practice and stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, like, there's... there's So, like, Anse does... Anse Safowski, uh, the writer of the series, does a really good Sikovsky. job. Sapkowski, you're right. Um, does a really, really good job of writing very nuanced characters. Mm-hmm. Characters that are very good at displaying both of those characters, like a cold, unfeeling, you know, monstrous badass who is also deep down a very caring father figure for, you know, uh, an abandoned child, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all things that he can very easily balance and very easily portray in his characters. We see none of that. <laughs> like yes. we see none of that nuance. Uh, it's it and it, it once again, this isn't a fault of the acting. It's a it's a fault of the fact that we just don't get a chance to see it on screen. We don't have any time to mm-hmm. talk to think about character development because we are just you know jetting between stories so fast. It's like we can barely absorb one story before we're moving on mm-hmm. to another. And I know I say that again and again. If you're going to watch it, you will see what I mean. It's like. Mm-hmm. 
it does seem like they were just fast forwarding through things. And I, and to that, I'm like, you could have cut out a few yes. things yes. and maybe made it a little more coherent. Yes. So one of the ways that you can compensate. So if you have a lot of material to cover, or like a lot of source material that's very convoluted and there's a lot of different roads and a lot of major things that have to happen in order to get to them. One of the ways that you can compensate for that and and try and cover that well is to neck down the scope of what you're displaying. Mm -hmm. So like if they had taken probably I would say like most of the first book alone and then maybe like a little bit of like some of the short stories and kind of worked those in. um, I think they could have actually made it flow relatively well. Um, and I think it would have been a very good rendition of the beginning. Um, and, you know, the problem, the thing with that is that, you know, if you look at that sections of the book and, and this is true for any any large fantasy or any large literary piece, um, there's going to be open ended, you know, plot threads. But. From a TV standpoint or from a media standpoint, that those open ended threads at that point keep people engaged for more. Um, yeah, you see what I'm saying? That like it, you you narrow down the scope a little bit more. Do some do less things, but do them better. Yeah, that that's my big piece of advice. If I were going to approach this kind of lower budget mm-hmm. Witcher adaptation, I would say do fewer things, do them better. Yeah, <laughs> because like. As it stands, even though we appreciate several elements of it, as well as their limitations, this is a very flawed, imperfect movie that Mm, doesn't really mm. do a great job of telling the story that Anse set out to tell um, or any of the nuance or really Mm. any of like the point of (laughs) the story. Like there's a lot of points of it there. There's a lot of like meaning to it. So to see none of that, Mm -hmm. I mean, really the only thing they managed to tell is that this relationship between Siri and Geralt is compelling and that we want to see them back together. Mm -hmm. So at least they do that. But again, so little time is devoted to that relationship that it almost doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. This is the emotional end Mm -hmm. to the movie. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I'm glad they tried mm-hmm. and I'm glad they created this so we can watch it. I, and <laughs> I am very glad they created it as well. So as a, as a closing thought, um, you know, we, we, I've, well, I'll, I'm going to compliment sandwich here a little bit. Um, one of the things that does really come through pretty well in this movie is the fact that you can tell a lot of the people who were involved in this project really loved the material. Um, and you could tell that a lot of people put a lot of people really put their heart into it. Um, unfortunately, there's just a lot of things that I don't think were related to that that really made it fall flat. Um, but you can, I, I really think a lot of the actors probably were really familiar with the source material. Um, I think, like I said, the, a lot of the, I think a lot of the set creators and things like that also really, really wanted to make this true to to form, make this true to form kind of thing. Like I said, I think a lot of people involved in the production of it really, really love the source material. And and the things that are good about it are very good. And they, it shows. And I think it's also interesting that despite being um, like 20 years apart in production and in such different like genres and like 
um, budgets mm. and like production styles and really mm-hmm. storytelling styles. They're so different in yes. any ways. <laughs> yes. I found it so interesting that there were certain like commonalities between the witcher or sorry the hexer Mm -hmm. um 2001 movie and the witcher 2020 Mm -hmm. or 2019 yeah yeah um what i i found so interesting is that they shared their um adaptation of the dream that Geralt has where he goes to sintra and he like tries to claim his Mm-hmm. child surprise mm-hmm. in the book that's a dream yeah yep and it happens when Geralt's loaded on the cart and he has a hallucination and that makes a lot of sense because it's something that he feels very guilty about and it's something mm-hmm. that he is thinking about and it's kind of prophetic so it's both happening and not mm-hmm. but it loses that nuance when they choose to tell it literally yeah so yeah. I find it really interesting that both of these adaptations, even though they're so different, chose to tell a very made the similar... Same, made the same choice. Similar yes. choice. Yep. Um, yep. And like I will say that the TV series did it better, but they also just fail to understand why it's good that that's a dream. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do have some fun facts, though, oh, about okay. this movie. Okay. Um, so apparently the casting announcement for this movie sparked protests in oh. Poland, oh, okay. which, um, led to a meeting between the producers and the cast and eventually appeased most of the protesters. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting because like that shows how deeply a lot of Poland cares about the Witcher. Okay. Well, but like, what were they protesting about? About the casting. They didn't like the casting. Oh, Oh, that that like they didn't like. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like a. Oh, well, we. No, it was before the movie was even made. Okay. They okay. didn't like the casting. It sparked. Protests. It was like we we don't like this. We don't like guy X here. So we want yes. guy Y. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Also, citing two major departures from his original script, screenwriter Michael Zerbeck demanded that his name not appear in the closing credits gee i wonder why what do you think were the two major departures (laughs) uh i don't know but yeah i was gonna say i think i think the screenwriting was probably a lot of the issue but i don't know if i had to guess it was maybe like all the final scenes (laughs) yeah probably maybe they changed that up yeah some of the reviews are just really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Kaminsky of FilmWeb concluded that it is not a good movie. Um, uh, uh, that's it. Just <laughs> yes. full, st- full stop. I don't think that's a full <laughs> one, but it's just. <laughs> it is not a good. Mir- it is not a good movie. Would you like to elaborate on that? No. <laughs> And Andrzej Sapkowski himself um, in several interviews Mm. has expressed negative opinions about the film. Um, I can answer only with a single word, an obscene, albeit short one. I am Polish Catholic. It is Lent now. I cannot utter swear words. (laughs) Another reviewer referred to the film as the film we all want to forget. 
And finally, another reviewer said that the film has been crushed by the reviewers and laughed out by fans. It has no critic reviews in 2019. Not surprising. Um, And FilmWeb has given it a score of 3.9 out of 10. Ah. I think I think it's a little bit better than that. <laughs> like I, I would give it like a four. Okay, actually, with that in mind. Okay. How many coins would you toss the hexer? How many coins would I toss the hexer? Um, I would toss the the hexer probably four, maybe five coins, um, just for the sheer heart of it. Um, like I said, they they. There were there were so many people that were so dedicated and so excited about this. And I think there's really only a few people that are really responsible for it being as bad as, as it is. I think they know who they are, too. You know what you did. You know what you did. I am going to toss it 3.95 coins out of 10 just to give it a little bit higher of a score than the, film than web the film web i was gonna say it. why the why the five one thousandths of a coin um just because i feel like it's probably apt um i also give it points when it comes to heart mm. and i just think that it really fails when it comes to storytelling it's not close to the nature of the story that Anse is telling and i think that he probably said it best himself mm, mm. Um, I will say that I enjoyed it. I had fun. It it is okay. So I I do have to say, like this movie is it is really fun to watch. In all honesty, um, it is it is perfectly so square in the center of so bad it's good. Um, and these are the kind of movies that like these these are the kind of movies that I love. Like I these are the kind of movies that I watch in my free time because I am a terrible trash person and like trash things. Um, but yeah, like this is, it, it's so bad. It's good. Um, definitely give it a watch, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. before season two of the witcher on Netflix yeah. comes out just to laugh. It's, it's, it's really, it, it is really fun to watch. I mean, just like, that's the only way to describe it. Um, it don't go into it expecting a good movie. Um, there's good things about it, but, um, so like I was going to bring in here, at the very end for like a final comparison here um which do you think was worse for their properties uh the star wars holiday special or the hexer (laughs) i i think probably the star wars holiday special because i think the hexer is pretty easy to ignore it's just like yeah yeah. i think in poland it was probably a bigger deal because like of course you know i think it was a bigger hit in Mm. poland when it was released and over the years, I think it got bigger and bigger in the U.S. But the Star Wars holiday special, unfortunately, did sort of tarnish the brand. So yeah, yeah, I, I really, I, yeah, I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, I, I still like can't even like just watch the Star Wars holiday special. Um, like, like even if I'm in the mood for a bad like dumb mo- like campy like stupid movie um I I the Star Wars holiday special is a whole different level um like um I 
even with booze like <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't make it any you, you're because you watch it and you're just like what the fuck is this and how does this have anything to do with star wars you watch the hexer and you're like oh okay this is this is the witcher um it's just told kind of poorly um but it's still fun and i'm still enjoying it it has so, recognizable parts yes um yeah All it right. tries and I respect it for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, like I said, I'm glad it exists. I, I encourage too. everyone to give it a watch. Um, I wouldn't say, like, you know, put your Saturday plans on hold and watch <laughs> The Hexer. I would say it's, it's a weekend night. You don't have a lot to do. You want to laugh. And you want yeah. something that's sort of recognizably The Witcher, but... Not quite to the extent that, like, watching the TV show would Mm. be. Watch this. It's a good Monday night movie. We're going to put the YouTube link in the show notes Mm. so you can watch it and tell us what you think. Again, we welcome your thoughts all the time on Instagram at Midnight Bookcast. Um, We love to hear what you think. And we had a lot of fun watching this. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. um, John Merck, I think it's time. I think I think the fire is getting a little low, um, and I think I need to go brush off my Polish dictionary um, and maybe learn a few more offensive phrases um, so that I can I can compensate for Anse because I'm not Catholic. I think it's time for me to set the barn on fire while I'm inside of it. True, always a good choice. Miraculously escape. <laughs> Emerge on the other side and run goofily into that good night. Mm. With that, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night.